Welcome to Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create your dream business so you can live the dream lifestyle that you want and deserve. Yes, success is not only possible, you deserve success. And now, welcome the dream business coach, Jim Palmer. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more, which is such a great thing, a great reason I'm saying that. You'll figure it out in a second. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, your dream business coach. I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. I'm very excited about this week's show, and you'll figure out why I was just giggling in a minute. My special guest is Stacy Brown. She is an expert on referral marketing. So let me briefly uh, introduce Stacy, and we will bring her right on. Stacy Brown Randall has one focus in life, to help business owners avoid business failure. She knows, because she's been there and done that, and as she said, she's got the T-shirt to prove it. What Stacy learned when her first business business failed and through years of researching successful business owners is now what is making all the difference with her current business success and she is sharing all of her secrets her online programs her live coaching provide a blueprint for solopreneurs and small business owners to follow to take control of of their referrals the business and and their days and their time she's a three-time entrepreneur certified productivity and time efficiency coach has a background in sales and marketing as an adjunct professor and an aspiring author stacy received her master's in organizational communication she's married with two kids has an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter and she and her husband welcome the newest member of their family and as they have the privilege of raising their eight-year-old nephew. So, Stacey, you've got a lot going on, girl. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. You know, uh, I normally wouldn't ask something so personal, but you kind of put it in your, your bio there. What's um, You have the pleasure of raising your nephew, and could you want to share just a little bit about that, or, or you could totally take a pass? No, I would be happy to. Thanks for asking It was about a year ago um, that we had the opportunity. I say that we, um, you know, obviously we welcomed our nephew into our family. I like to say we picked another one up. You know, we just picked Mm -hmm. another kid up. But our nephew, he is awesome. Um, His name is Danny, and he has been with us about a year. And, you know, he just not not had the easiest life, like I would say that our two kids, um, my husband and I, our two kids that we have, has had, you know, we um, we got custody of him last summer. We were his fifth home, so we are his forever home. We are honored mm-hmm. to be his forever home, and we are just working through that process of going from two kids to three kids and just adjusting. Well, God bless you and your husband for doing that. I, I mean, I guess we can read between the lines. That wasn't an always an easy situation, but, um, you know, uh, we, we're never tasked to handle more than we can handle. So and I think um, – it sounds to me like you got an awesome family, and, and he's going to do really, really well with you. Well, we certainly hope so. We think the world of him. He's fantastic. And, you know, it's funny, Jim, because I know you're a parent, so you can completely relate to this. There are some days where we're dealing with things, you know, that we just haven't dealt with before. And I think to myself, I am rocking it. I am the world's best parent. And then there are other days where I'm faced with a situation, I don't know what to do, and I'm like, I'm going to fail this child miserably. So it is definitely your point. <laughs> We were not given something we can't handle, but sometimes we do question why we were, why he thought we could handle some of it. But we are, I we're know. doing great. It's been, it's been a year, and we're, we're pleased um, just to have him in our family. And to your point, we're just thankful that you know we could provide something to him he didn't have. 
That's wonderful. You know, we had uh, two boys, and then we decided we'll have a third child and call it a day. And on the third child, we had twins, so we quickly went from two to four. <laughs> so you know, it's like it's like a car seat explosion went off in your car. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, I'll get to business in a second, folks. Stephanie claims, she claims that way back then when I was, what was I, 27 or 28 when that happened, she claims I was questioning, do we really need two car seats, two pair of shoes, two cribs, two everything? <laughs> you know? uh, anyway, all right, let's 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 get right to it. So you've had... Um, so you've had a, a pretty cool career so far in multiple businesses, a, a couple, uh, we'll call them lessons and uh, learning learnings as, as you went along. But sounds like you're doing really great now, helping uh, other people grow their business through the power of referrals. I am. You know, a quick little story about that. My first business was actually was an HR consulting firm, and I ran it for a number of years and had a stellar list of clients. Like, KPMG, um, one of the big four accounting firms, BDO, which is another large accounting firm, uh, Snyder's Lance, also the city of Charlotte. I mean, I had a number of large clients with my HR consulting firm, and the fact that I had to, like, stand by one day and realize this business has failed, it really did a number on me. And I took an opportunity to learn from that opportunity and to really figure out what I do wrong. And the fascinating thing about as I kind of unpacked what happened with that business that had been successful and then all of a sudden was not successful, and I, I, I definitely have what I call my, my, my secrets or my lessons learned from business failure. But when I unpacked it all and I looked back at it, I realized I didn't receive one referral when I ran that company, not one that I could actually trace back to a client that came on board as an actual referral. And when I look back and I walk, and I, you know, here I'm now back at a corporate job, right? I have to go get a job, work for the man. And I always knew if I got a second chance to go out on my own, I would take it in a heartbeat. And luckily that happened within a couple of years. And I was spent that time doing my corporate job, figuring out how did I fail, what went wrong. And then I kind of got exposed um, to like how successful business owners are building their companies. And I got turned on this thing called referrals. And I was like, you know what? If I start another business, it's going to be based on referrals, and I'm going to do – I'm going to run this business different. Business number two will be done differently than business number one was, and truly that is what has made all the difference in my business now. And it used to be like when I was starting out as a business coach, my clients would be like, uh, safety, it was really, really easy to get on your calendar. Now all of a sudden you're telling me I'm second and fourth Thursdays at 3 or I'm first and third Tuesdays at 9, and there's not a lot of space. And they, my clients would say, what's going on? I'd be like, well, business is exploding, and I'm doing great, and I'm getting all these referrals, which is allowing me to build my business by design the way I want it to work. And that's when my clients started saying, well, then teach me your referral secrets because obviously you're doing something right. Wow. Well, that's very cool. So what did you learn about – how did you actually uh, learn the referral skills? So, great question. The corporate job I had to take after my first business failed was actually in the insurance agency. It was in the insurance world for um, financial advisors. So, I became the chief talent officer for an organization that literally launched financial advisors. And I watched how they were trained. And in some cases, how they were not trained. And I had to, like, part of that process was I went through Sandler sales training, which I found that whole concept fascinating. And uh, you know, then I started recognizing, like, I was reading sales books, to be honest, I had not read before, and my father is an author, and both my undergrad and master's degree in communication, so I'm kind of a crazy reader, as it is, and I started just getting my hands on anything I could about, you know, sales processes, and that's what I realized was that 
sales has never really been my problem. I, I think I have a natural personality for it. My mom was a very successful salesperson, made the president's public every year, which in her business when she worked for a company throughout her career. Um, my father had been in radio sales and stuff. So I kind of had that in the genes, I would say. But I realized, you know, it's a little different from running a business and having to do the work and bring in new clients. But I started reading a lot of books. I started getting my hands on other referral books. And every time I would read a book, I would walk away and I would say, I get that that worked for them, but that's just not who I am. You know, a lot of sales techniques and trainings, they teach you to go be a hunter. I'm a gatherer. Like, I build through relationships. I'm not a hunter. I mean, I guess I could be if I had to be. And I I guess, you know, I've had a cold call before, and it's awful, and I hate it, and <laughs> so it makes me pretty bad at it. So I had to figure out another way, right? I had to figure out another way. And part of my job, that corporate job, was recruiting uh, new folks and to become financial advisors. So I had to figure out a different way because I wasn't going to hunt. I needed to gather. And referrals work so perfectly for that because it respects the relationship that you have with people. But there was this one piece that I always read when it came to referrals that I didn't like, and that was that I constantly had to ask. Like that's what you were taught. You gotta ask, you gotta ask, you gotta ask. And in some cases, there are certain situations where there's no problem in asking. But most of the time I figured out that I get uncomfortable, the other person gets uncomfortable, so no ask is happening. And then I noticed it was happening with other people. I was like, you know what, there's got to be another way to get referrals and not have to ask. So that's the code I went about cracking um, when I kind of started my new business and then put my referral process in place. So if someone's taught to ask for referrals, because, you know, uh, years ago I went through Sandler, too, familiar with the whole little submarine and all that stuff. Yes. If some, <laughs> no, I thought that was kind of goofy, but it, it served its purpose. If somebody was um, taught, taught to, you've got to ask, just ask, you know, you can ask uh, at the beginning of the relationship, as you make a sale, do you know anybody else? I mean, so many things you hear that people are taught. So what is... Uh, if there's anything wrong with asking, what is it and, and which do, way do you prefer to do it? Right. So, And I think that's a great question because I think it goes back to a couple of main pieces. And the first thing is that we have to remember what the true definition of a referral is and who's actually at the heart of a referral. And when you are told to ask for referrals, you're making yourself the center of attention. You're making that referral about you because you're asking for the referral. But at the heart of why a referral actually happens and why referrals are such an, a huge increase to someone's business because, as you know, the trust factor is there because the trust is transferred and they become easier, right? They don't necessarily have to close them. They're more likely to be yours to lose. And they become better clients, repeat clients, and more likely to refer you to other clients. I mean, when you think about the benefit that comes from a referral and we focus on the referral being about us, we're missing a key component of that referral. And at the bottom line, a referral isn't about us. A referral is actually about the person who's making the referral to us because they have a friend, a colleague, a coworker, a family member that has a problem, that has a need, and they want to be the hero. They want to help their friend, their coworker, their colleague solve the problem. The fact that they can refer that person to me or to you, Jim, that's just a benefit to our business, right, because we're just the solution. We're not the hero, and it's not about us. And so when we make the ask for a referral, we fundamentally turn off, right, it being about them, and we make it about us, and that's when a lot of people get uncomfortable. Not everybody. I recognize some people, 
Now, just like some people can be hunters in sales and some people are gatherers, asking doesn't bother some people. But the clients that I worked with, they should have been getting referrals, and they weren't because they wouldn't ask because they couldn't put their finger on why they didn't like it. But when I explained it to them, I was, well, because now you're making it about you and it's not about you, they were like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now teach me what I can do so I don't have to ask. Wow. It is always about the person making the referral. I mean, I, I'm i a person who likes to uh, share resources and help people when they say, hey, who do you know, that type of thing. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I know that when you make a referral, um, how that relationship progresses or whether or not it goes well is a reflection on you too. So do you find yourself being somewhat careful when you refer um, I mean, only referring people you know to be, you know, whether five-star, gold standard, whatever terminology you want to use? Definitely, because you're right. It is a reflection on, you know, if you're making a referral, right, if you're referring someone to me and I completely dropped the ball, even though you had nothing to do with it, it completely reflects back on you. And so I, I'm always careful when I make referrals. I make as many as I can make. I think that all business decisions should be made with a referral. I don't think that, I mean, I think that you can certainly find someone online and you can certainly take a cold call and decide you want to meet with that salesperson on the other end. But I think all major decisions in a business should, should come with some vetting involved. And a referral just helps you, you know, save time on having to do that vetting. And so, yes, when I'm thinking about giving referrals, I definitely, you know, want to make sure that, the person I'm referring them to will take care of them. And I think once a person demonstrates to me that they can take care of whoever I would refer to them, I am, it's like the spigot gets turned on. I'm more likely to do it as long as the opportunity is there. Um, when I was doing a little research um, uh, for this interview, Stacey, I was looking at your blog. that You have a, a blog post about uh, certain myths about referrals. And you have a myth that uh, says basically referrals are inherently inconsistent, so you can't rely on them as a source of new clients. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I think that that's one of um, probably one of my favorite ones to talk about because I think that is typically what people believe all the time is that, hey, it's just inconsistent. It's great when it happens, but I can't actually make it be consistent. And so what I tell folks is, is that, no, there is actually a system that you can put into place that will help you grow your clients coming through referrals. And that goes to what I talk about is creating experiences. So when I talk about referral marketing, I really talk about referral experiences. And the way to have a steady and consistent stream of referrals coming in is to definitely have, you know, a handful of folks that are going to refer to you. And that number is big or small depending on the individual, right? I mean, I have a an attorney who needs 12 referrals a year, right? My first year in business, I got 112 referrals in a year, right? So our needs right. look a little different. Um, but you can definitely create that, that steady and consistent stream of new clients. But you have to do it in a way where you're building out experiences and you're focusing on the relationship with those who refer to you. And that, I think, is where I also start start to diverge from the experts that are out there who've been teaching referral marketing for the last 20 or 30 years. And that's not to say everything they teach is wrong. Like some of the stuff I, I know comes from them. But where I diverge from them is this whole idea that if I create the right experiences and focus on the relationship and do it in a way where I'm planting seeds for referrals, there is definitely that ability to generate consistent referrals, but also many, many referrals, not just two or three. Hmm, that makes sense. What is H2H sales, and, and how does that uh, help you with the whole referral uh, piece? 
So I believe that anybody can benefit from referrals, but where I have seen it work best is, is when people are in what I call H2H sales, which is human to human. So it doesn't matter to me if it's B2B or it's B2C. At the end of the day, there's a human on the other side making a sale, and you are in a position for the, the best type of referrals, right? You're in a position to where you're going to become a trusted resource or you're seen as an expert to the person that's about to hire you. So, for instance, a lot of my work revolves around people that I would refer to as in those relationship-based sales types of industries, like financial advisors, business and life coaches, um, CPAs, attorneys, realtors, right? So they're not, they didn't get into business to be a salesperson. A financial advisor got into business to give the best financial advice he can give to help families or help individuals or help couples, right? A realtor didn't get into business to be a salesperson. They got into business to help somebody with the knowledge that they have to make the best decision when they're buying or selling a home. Sales happens to be a byproduct of where you want to spend your time. You have to do sales to be able to spend your time in your, you know, your area of expertise. And so those folks are uniquely positioned for referrals. One, because they don't want to be seen as a salesperson, so it makes it easier on them when they're generating business through referrals. But two, they naturally spend more time with the people that they are working with or their clients, so they have the greatest ability to build uh, better relationships. Very cool. H2H, so human to human. Yes. I was wondering what that was stood for. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Well, you know, hey, listen, one of the things I teach are, are, are the importance of acronyms and coming up with your own quote-unquote language and terminology. So, I mean, I'm, I'm always looking at things from a marketing perspective, so that's, kudos to you. That's pretty cool. Um, how does someone – you know, a client experience, I think, also plays a big part in um, in referrals. If you have a, a really great experience with someone, you're more likely to refer a friend or a colleague to that person. Um, but as you mentioned, I think you, you also do a lot of work with solopreneurs and things like that. So how does someone run a really good, um, you know, client experience, but, you know, on a, on a limited budget? Yes, I love that question because I really think that anyone can have a client experience. And my preference is for you to come to me with a shoestring budget. And it goes back to one most important piece when it comes down to your client experience. And let me put this a little bit in context. When I talk about client experience, I'm talking about the experience every client receives, right? They go through this process. Every client kind of receives this experience. And there are three stages that you really have to pay attention to as your clients are moving through their, their journey as a client. But when we're going after referrals, right, that is the experience we layer on top of the client experience. And more than likely, it's not going to be for every client. It's going to be for the clients that refer us or have the propensity to refer us. So it's just more TLC, right, more tender loving care that we kind of add on to that client experience. But at the foundation of a client experience that most people need, and it doesn't have to cost a lot, and I'll share what mine is as well, because anybody out there can borrow my ideas. I'm happy with that. It helps make them more money and get some more clients. But the, at the crux of a client experience, is that you have to have something that happens throughout that process where the client says, I just didn't expect that from my attorney. I just didn't expect that from my business coach. I just didn't expect that from my financial advisor. We want something, and I call it the wow factor. We want something that just gets their attention, and they think, wow, they actually care about me. And 
kind of produces that outcome, that result of, oh, I just didn't expect that. And so, you know, mine, when you you look at the client experience that I do with my clients, you know, I'm a business. I'm a business and productivity coach, right? And a lot lot more now of my time is spent on the referral marketing side, which, of course, I love. But I still work with clients face-to-face or over the phone. And so when they come on board with me, and I'll just give you the first part of it, they get a welcome email. And then that says, hey, here's all your documents that I told you I would send you, and here's your dates, and let's make sure we plug those into our calendar. And then, you know, basically sit back and relax and wait for the first session to start. Here's your homework, right? Here's the, the documents you have to complete. Then between getting that welcome email and when I get their signed contract back into their first session, they get for me what I call the journey card. And my attorney got on to me, and he was like, you need to say, like, you know, trademark after you say that, <laughs> or journey card. But um, they get this journey card that just, reiterates to them, you made the right decision. I know working with a coach is going to be messy because, as you know, Jim, working with business owners and coaching them, it's messy. Um, It's never like, oh, you've got this one little problem, let's solve it easily, right? So I remind them that you've made the right decision. Yes, this journey may stretch you, but that's okay because I'm your co-pilot and I'm going to be with you for the journey. And it's just that little card, that, that touch point. And when I used to go visit my clients in their offices, said it a couple years ago, I would see that. I would see that cart up on their bulletin boards, right? It would be up somewhere in their office. And I realized, oh, that matters to them. And, and now all my clients come to me to my office. And so I see it in the everybody, – everybody that works with me eventually has a Stacy folder. And so I saw it when they would show up and the cart would be in there. And sometimes they'd mention it and sometimes they wouldn't. But I knew they got it and I knew it mattered. Wow. Yeah, that's good. You know, we spend on average, and my clients have heard me talk about this, or even listeners, we spend $42.80 on every new member that we get for my uh, membership programs like No Hassle News, that is whatnot. And when I speak out, and some, I, sometimes I'll say that statistic, somebody goes, my God, that's $42.80. You know how many clients we get? And I said, yeah. But by doing that and initiating that sequence and spending that money, it's 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 brought in another, on average, $2,400 per customer. By spending so, do you want to trade in forty two dollars and eighty cents for twenty four hundred? I would do it all day long. Right. You know, that's a great point because I've had a couple of clients say, you know, when we build out their client experience and then we build out their referral experience, and we build it, and they're looking at the budget. And I, I like shoestring budgets, right? I mean, mine doesn't take too much. I send a, I send a book at the end of our coaching to remind them to keep their accountability, and I send them a card, right? And I've got a couple events I do throughout the year because I happen to like to do events. Client experience does not have to include events. Um, and I send, you know, like something at Christmas or the end of the year. Like, shoestring budgets are great, but I tell my clients, be willing to invest some money in your client experience and your referral experience just like you're doing, Jim, because I'd rather spend money there where I know there's a guarantee return than, than spending it anywhere else in the world of sales and marketing. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I remember um – long time ago when I introduced you, I mentioned you were a certified productivity and time efficiency coach. If it's okay, I'd love to switch gears in our last few minutes here and ask you a couple questions in that area. Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, everybody seems very time-starved these days. You know what I mean? It's like everybody wears so many hats. There's so many things to do. Um, so what are some of the productivity uh, keys that you talk about that will help small business owners, and, and especially solopreneurs, uh, be more efficient with their time? 
this is a biggie, and that's actually a, one of the reasons a lot of my clients, you know, that they, they land at, in my office is they're like, I need to get back more time, and I'm like, and you need to make more money, right? <laughs> we need both. We need time and we need more money. So, you know, what I always work my clients through, and it's not, most of my clients show up and they're like, tell me the tool, tell me the, tell me the, the new digital app that I need. I'm like, you know, time, time management, you know, time efficiency, whatever the new buzzword is now, productivity, or, you know, it's not about the latest and greatest app or the latest and greatest tool. There are things that will help you, but ideally what it comes down to is a few key pieces for a solopreneur or a small business owner, and that is understanding what drives your business and understanding where you spend your time. And then the, the third most important thing is, is being able to call yourself and redirect your focus when you find yourself doing things that are not beneficial for your business. It's not sexy, it's not flashy, and it's certainly, you know, not the latest and greatest advice. It's time-tested, right, because it works. If we spend our time in the right places and we're willing to cut out things that don't matter without guilt being a huge key, right, then we will actually see our businesses improve. And I would say about 70% of the clients I work with are working parents. They own businesses and they have children, whether, you know, their children are in high school, college, or they are still in diapers. And so that need to be able to get home and be present is it's real. It's, it's huge. And so, and that, you know, and, and, you know, some of my clients, they have to get home to the pet, right? I mean, it's just as valuable. And so when, when we look at their businesses, I always tell them, you have to know what's in your bullseye. You have to know what keeps you closest to the money. And you have to know what are the things that support the bullseye. And then you've got to get rid of everything else. And when you can do that or you can outsource things, right, then you're actually in a space where your business starts to function the way you want to. I tell all my, my clients, you need an $8 an hour list, right, which is every time you do something, you know you could pay somebody $8 or, you know, $10 or $15, Right, you need to be writing that down. And those are the things that we want to outsource as fast as possible. Because when we do the things that are really when we're worth a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars an hour and we're doing something worth eight dollars an hour, like updating our website, right, or trying to fix a problem that somebody else could do for us, that will slow us down and keep us working in our business and we'll never get to the place where we get to work on it. Yeah. That's so good. You know, um, uh, Stacy, one of the things I always talk about, especially with some of my clients who are who say, "Well, I don't have time to write a book. I just can't seem to get my book done." Um, we are people have become so distracted. I like how you said some of your clients are saying, "Well, what's a good app for that?" You, you don't need a freaking app. You know what? You need to. Here's what I do, and I, I tell people this. I, so I wrote my first book in uh, 18 months. I wrote my last two in 60 days. And the way I did that was I carved out time. I actually carved it out for six weeks from my sleep schedule. Instead of get up at five, I get up at four. And um, I said, I don't. When I wake, I don't look at my phone. I don't look at vo or email. I don't look at Facebook. I don't turn on the TV. I don't even turn on music because I'll start humming and that'll distract me. I literally get out of bed, stumble into my office. I might get coffee or, or juice, but and I start working. And I work for an hour and a half until I usually hear Stephanie rising, and then I start getting a little distracted. But you have to be able to, as I say, kick all distractions to the curb, and you have to change your environment. If you're if you think I'm going to silence my phone, then heaven forbid the thing vibrates on your desk. Who's not going to look at it, right? So keep that. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to completely take control of your environment. 
You do. You have to. You have to manage your own attention, and you have to be set up for success to overcome distraction. And I love the example that you gave about writing your book, your second and third book in 60 days. Kudos to you. That's amazing. I always tell that when we set goals, they're not just things we want, right? I mean, my favorite definition of goals is it's the version of the future that we are willing to work toward. And so we got to want it bad enough to be able, to your point, to let the distractions go. I think it's John Lee Dumas who says that we live in a world with weapons of mass distraction, and we haven't learned to conquer those. And so when you can conquer the distractions, you can move mountains. I, I actually figured out I've, – so I've, I have written six books in six years, and every one gets a little quicker and hopefully a little better. But I have figured out that I used to, I used to have um, – just very, very soft music in the background, but then I figured out that even if it's soft, if there's a um, singing going on. So now I have uh, basically I, I play some, play something called slack key. It's a Hawaiian acoustic guitar, <laughs> so there's absolutely no singing. I know I need to put it down to a level five, so it's just it's just enough to be like white noise, if you will. But I have figured out over trial and error this is my and I had to I had to uh, write some sales copy earlier this morning, and um, I, I was doing it, but I found myself a little distracted. So uh, I basically turned that music on. That ha- I have trained myself. That's my go-to. Do nothing but l- kind of listen to that melodic in the background. And so it, you can really train yourself to be super productive when you focus on, you know, as you say, what the goal is and where you're moving forward, but also uh, eliminating all distractions. Yes, absolutely. It, it it takes time. It's messy, right, to kind of get yourself to that place where that music became your go time, right? It didn't just happen. You didn't just listen to that music once or twice and all of a sudden you were, you were at go time. But over time you built that habit and now it commands your attention and it redirects and pivots your behavior. And when we can put those things in place, you know, you know, ma- major things can happen. What I find with most clients is, is that that takes work and it takes energy and it's messy because you're not going to do it well the first time or the tenth time or the fifteenth time they try to do it. We give up too easily. I've also noticed that too. I mean, I think that's people, why people hire business coaches, but for someone to hold them accountable. Because a lot of folks just give up too easily when things get tough, and it's because, to your point, our our brains, they're not built to be so distracted, but we are definitely, you know, maneuvering them to be, and we're definitely conditioning them to be, which isn't good for us. You know, so real quick, funny story, and then I want to ask you one more question. So the way I figured this out by trial and error was at one point I figured I'm going to put on – John Denver, because, you know, I just like like his music. It's soft. There's no driving beat to distract me. But honest to goodness, my wife and I really liked him. We saw him twice in concert before he died. And so there's one song came on, and I'm just sort of listening, but I'm writing. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking of the concert. <laughs> I mean, that's what <laughs> happens. Like, things just go boom, and my mind went zap 100 miles an hour in the other direction. I, I'm sitting there smiling, go, God, that was a lot of fun. And then I said, wait a second, get back to work. <laughs> you get know, so that's what I figured. Get back to work. Yeah, so anyway. um, You know, I I noticed that, too. Sometimes I'll find myself typing the words to the song. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, Stacey, let me ask you. I want to end on a high note, so I hope this question isn't off guard. But, you know, so you you said you went through – uh, some business failures early on before you got to be where you are now. What was, like, the biggest lesson you learned or maybe one or two lessons you learned from, from that experience? Absolutely. I, I call my three secrets learned from business failure, so I'll give you all three of them super fast. 
The first one is you have to touch business development every day. Particularly for solopreneurs and small business owners, we can't bring in work, then bury our heads in the work, and not pay attention that there's no work coming after. We have to be focused on the pipeline. That's where my whole um, idea for referral marketing, my whole system that I have um, actually came from. The second um, lesson or secret that you have to know is you have to protect your mindset. You have to be what's called emotionally bulletproof because people think entrepreneurs are crazy and your family members may not understand and sometimes people will say things not meaning to hold you back but if you let it get into your psyche it can actually blow you down or derail you. So, And then the third one is, is that you actually have to be prepared to scale or to pivot your business when necessary. And that was probably the beginning of the end for me when I didn't realize I was becoming commoditized and I wasn't prepared to pivot and I never had the scalability conversation because you cannot scale when you're drowning. Your business is drowning. It's not the time to think about scaling. You you may have missed your opportunity. At least that was the case for me. So, one, touch business development every day. Two, protect your mindset. Be emotionally bulletproof. And three, be prepared to scale and pivot and be looking for those opportunities. Yeah, number two is so important. Um, you know, your family, people you love and things like that, sometimes we want to go to them for like approval or to kind of – even if you're looking for feedback and idea, secretly what you're looking for is like, wow, that's really cool. Wow, you're really smart or something. <laughs> but And they don't necessarily get what we're doing as entrepreneurs, so they may not give you the reaction – that you're looking for. And the other thing I think is really important is your parents or your family, your husband, your children, they see you and know you as who you are right now, not necessarily in your head who you're aspiring and, and looking to be. So they're always judging like, oh, oh, that's Stacy. Oh, remember when Stacy, you know, when she was six did this? And so, you know, you're working as an entrepreneur and you're growing, but so many of the so much of the feedback so I've learned I just don't I don't talk to my family about business because they frankly don't get it get what would I do that that's so true I, I mean my situation is slightly different because most of my family members are entrepreneurs um, mm. but if but my family is heavy entrepreneurs in the restaurant industry I can't even begin to tell you how many restaurants that we have in our family and then I married a man who decided he wanted a restaurant so I was like oh, I thought I was getting out of this business so, um, you know, which is fine, and now we have two restaurants, and we just decided one needed to be on wheels, so now we have a food truck. But um, I am surrounded by business owners, um, everyday entrepreneurs with my family, um, but they still don't get what I do. I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur just like you. The fact that I do coaching and online programs, and they're like, we have a brick-and-mortar store, you know, and so yeah. to your point, even when the people get it, they may not necessarily get it, and I, I think my father and I have a bond with that because he's an author, right? My, my father's published 21 books, and, you know, and, you know he ended up right, uh, rightly so self-publishing, but, you know, the whole family still thinks he's like, we don't really get it. I'm like, you would get him if he would read his book. <laughs> so he and I have this very special bond. It's like the whole family's got these restaurant things happening and in the hospitality industry, and you know, so I think you're right, though. I think you have to find the people who believe in you and find the people you can have conversations with about your business. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why you love being a coach, and I know it's one of the reasons why I love it, too. My father, who is uh, 82, and I've been in business 15 years, and I used to talk to him a lot. And, you know, when you go out and speak, I mean, sometimes you'll get hired to do a, a paid keynote, but then there's other opportunities you have to speak on a stage and, and pitch some of your programs, right? And um, that's what I was into. And uh, he could never – so I'd say he, – he, I'd be talking talk to my parents every Sunday night. So, well, where are you going this week? Oh, I'm going to Houston. Well, 
Are you get? Are you finally? Get, are they going to at least pick up your airfare? I said no, doing all that myself. <laughs> I just don't get it. And yet I'd come home with like three new coaching clients worth, you know, a whole lot more than than airfare and a stipend speaking gig. So it's just uh, it's a could be a generational, but it's also just a, it's just a different mindset about how, you know what your beliefs in business are. Well, and it's just because you know nowadays with what how we do some of our business, it just didn't exist 20 years ago. That's true. You know, like being, yeah. You know, but it, selling really products online. Um, I mean, I have conversations with people, and I talk about the fact that I have an online course that you can go and buy, and you don't need to see me. You can, it's all video-based. You get the workbooks, the resources, templates, everything you need is there. And they still look at me crazy. I'm like, you've shopped on Amazon before. I don't know why this is such a hard leap <laughs> for you to make to understand that what I coach, I can coach online too. So, you know, I think that – to your point, it could be generational, but I think it's definitely becoming more common. Well, I have kept you a little long, but I was thoroughly enjoying our conversation. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Um, I know people are going to want to connect with you and learn more about you and your productivity and referral training, so why don't you share a, uh, a website or resource, if, if you would. Absolutely. So your folks can find me. They can go to um, growthbyby, growthbyreferralswithaness.com. So growthbyreferrals.com. And I'll, that's the website. They can find information about my online course called Growth by Referrals. They can also sign up to receive um, free resources from me. But I'll make it really easy for your listeners, too. They can also go to growthbyreferrals.com forward slash gym. And I will put on that website the, um, a great free download for them. That'll just be my four reasons you don't get referrals and what to do about it. So they can download that document, and I include, like, here's what you do if you're not getting referrals. So it's actionable items. They can download that information, and hopefully it will help them get more referrals, and they can hop on over to their website and learn more about me if they're interested. That is so cool. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Th Stacy. thanks so much. It's been uh, a great pleasure having you on the show. My pleasure, too. Thank you. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Stick Like Glue Radio with productivity and referral expert coach uh, Stacy Brown-Randall. Remember, Stick Like Glue, it's the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. Watch for another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio this time next week. Until then, keep taking action, keep moving forward, and don't ever, ever, ever give up. Hey, go out there and do something nice for somebody today. Take care, everybody. For more information and free resources on how to create your dream business, connect with Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, at www.getjimpalmer.com. And be sure to check out Dream Business Coach TV, powerful two-minute videos filled with Jim's unique smart marketing and business-building advice. See them all at www.dreambizcoach.tv. That's www.dreambizcoach.tv. See you next week for more Stick Like Blue Radio. And remember, success is not only possible, you deserve success.